with Ronnie, normally whenever we start, you know, I typically ask our guest their path, their journey into the nonprofit space, but you can't really do that more than once. I mean, we know the answer this time for, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it before. So, so I was trying to think about, okay, well, uh, how, how do we welcome, how do we most appropriately welcome Tim, uh, to the podcast? So, um, our good friend behind the scenes, Ryan Mellinger, like he might help us by welcoming him with applause. Like there would be, this would be a good place for Ryan to insert applause or other fanfare, you know, that might be a, a good way to welcome Tim. On the video, we could have some, some sprinkles dropping down or something yeah, or fireworks going off. Yeah. Then how would you want to be welcomed? Well, this, this is just free flowing. I mean, this is not going to be on the program. No, 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 we're, we're rolling. This is live. This is cold open, cold open. Wow. This is tough. Well, you could introduce me as having uh, sort of come of age in my, uh, in a, a very inflationary environment. I was in sure. college and, uh, when I was uh, early married, I mean, I remember I was reflecting uh, with my wife just the other day about how she used to get up at four in the morning and uh, fill her car with gas because of the gas shortage in Southern California. And uh, home mortgage interest rates were in the teens, like 15 to 16%. So if we're going to talk about inflation today, been there, done that, survived. Now, I was a lot younger in those days and didn't know as much as I know now about life and business and so forth, but I do remember the pain and I remember the fear of, oh my gosh, is it always going to be like this? Uh, will we always be waiting in gas lines? Will mortgage rates always be in teens or, or will we be able to live and maybe buy a house someday and so forth? So, you know, I've been in this movie before, unfortunately, and I've read a little bit of history and inflation is really wicked in terms of what it does to uh, countries and uh, organizations and individual people as they're trying to uh, survive and, uh, and build a life. So I don't know if that helped and no, say, I introduce myself. You didn't actually introduce me. Oh. I ended up in my yeah. but That's one way to think about it. That's one. So I'm going to take it and, uh, and yes, and this scenario and say that if John Hughes made movies about the 70s instead of the 80s, and yeah. he did a movie uh, called The Inf Inflation Club instead of The Breakfast Club, he might cast one Tim Kirsten as someone coming of age during that period. How's that? If he were desperate, I suppose. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, welcome, to, welcome to Group Thinkers, ladies and gents. Uh, the podcast from RKD Group. I'm your host, Justin McCord. With me, as always, is Ronnie Richard. And here we are. Uh, we are here today to wrap up our series of conversations on uncertainty. For now, <laughs> we anticipate being uncertain again at some point in the future. But in terms of the, the conversations that we've had uh, most recently on uncertainties that nonprofits have been 
facing. Uh, today's our, our last one. And so uh, we wanted to go out with a bang. And, uh, and so we brought the best bang that we could find, which is Tim Kirsten, CEO of RKD Group. Tim, you've already introduced yourself, but it's good to see you today. Thank you. It's uh, good to see you. Good to be seen. We haven't done this in a while. I always look forward to uh, conversations with really smart people. And so here I am. Should be a good time. Well, we'll let you know when the smart folks arrive. Otherwise, you're stuck with Ronnie and I. Tim, we're going to walk through your experience and your perspective on inflation today. And so, uh, as you know, we've had conversations around the recession. We've had conversations around uncertainty with data regulations. Uh, we've had uncertainty conversations around employee development, employee engagement, employee recruitment. And, uh, and most recently, we've had uh, conversations around uncertainty uh, as a leader and how to navigate those things. And, uh, and because we like to focus our conversations in on uh, our nonprofit marketing brethren, uh, sisters and brothers that, that are, is our listening audience, we really want to focus in this conversation on the, the real impact of inflation on nonprofits. And so I'm going to start with just a couple of, uh, of stats, uh, which by the way, for the listening audience, you can head on over to the RKD group blog and find a very recent post on the impact of inflation on nonprofits. We're going to reference a couple of stats that you can read about more in detail there, but I want to just use a couple of statistics or one in particular to, to help prime our discussion today. So. Publicly available information from the, the United States government shows that inflation from January 2022 through June of 2022 was up 13%, up 13%. How are nonprofits feeling the impact of this? Well, I think they're feeling it in a couple different ways. Uh, uh, unfortunately, it's a double-edged sword. And um, one, the costs of providing services to those that they serve are going up. So if you are a mission, a food bank, or even an animal welfare organization, you are buying things. Obviously, it's pretty obvious. You're buying things that you need. If you're uh, an, uh, an animal organization, you're... You're having to pay your people like any nonprofit uh, in, in your people, your employees are feeling the pressure of rising costs. You're having to buy food to feed the animals and so forth. Um, and uh, in the case of food banks or other social service organizations, um, the cost of food is it's going up. We all see it when we go shopping. So the impact on, on uh, nonprofits is uh, significant on that side of the equation and then Nonprofits are going to donors or prospective donors to ask them to give some money uh, to help out. And when, uh, you know, people only have so much disposable income, I, it's interesting when people say, oh, she's on a fixed income. Well, aren't we all on fixed incomes? I mean, they're just fixed at a different level. But most of us, you know, get a paycheck and, and uh, that's it for the year. 
and, uh, and so forth. So our income is fixed. So everybody's income is generally speaking fixed, different levels. And so it affects people differently. And, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, we know some of the most generous people on a, um, uh, what's the right term per capita basis are uh, people who, I'm sorry, people who give as the, the percentage of their income is uh, higher at the lower end of, of the uh, demographics of nonprofit organizations. So you have somebody who maybe is making $40,000 a year that they may, they're likely giving a higher percentage of their income than people who's high, who are higher up on that, on that hierarchy. And so, um, there's just no question and we're seeing it in, in statistics across the nonprofit sector of, of response rates falling off, um, and, and falling back to pre pandemic levels, which of course we all know that we saw a huge jump in, uh, in response rates and income, particularly with some organizations, um, that, that were on the front lines or feeling the effect of, of COVID, uh, most severely. And so that's the double-edged sword is, uh, costs are going up. And, and the ability of people to donate is, uh, is going down of, of many people that donate, which really to me, um, speaks to, uh, well, what, what do we do in response to that? But I don't want to answer that question until you ask it. <laughs> we'll get there. We're going to get to uh, that. And, and so, but you're right. No, this is interesting. This is, uh, you know, and, and I mentioned it's up 13% from January, 2021, uh, you know, to, to date. So 13%, but Tim, the picture that you paint there, it's not something that solely impacts the development team anymore. Like when you talk about the, the cost of, uh, of goods rising, that impacts the program scene. And, you know, I, I think there are times to where we forget about that relationship between the programs and development. And maybe this is one of those that draws them even closer together because of the, the way that that double edged sword hits both of their plates. Likewise. Yeah. So I have a thought on that. I, I know that probably shocks you, but I would have a thought, on but, 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 here, but here's my thought. And that is it, it, in my experience too often, there's a gap between the program people who are on the front lines delivering service and the fundraising team. And one of making sure there's a flow of information between the two. So the, um, the program side understands what the fundraising side needs to say, you know, what, what raw material do you need? And, and, uh, and of course the fundraising side, you know, proactively going in and having those conversations. So they pull it out. I, I, you know, th this is both a, uh, it's a messaging challenge for nonprofits, but it's also a strategy challenge for the nonprofits. So I'm going to talk about the messaging challenge first. So I was reading an article the other day about how do you persuade people to do things that they ordinarily either are maybe opposed to, or wouldn't think they need to do or sort of neutral and they need a nudge. And, um, it, it was just interesting. And this was in the, in the context of, of affecting change anywhere, you know, within an organization, site, whatever. And, uh, the key word is because, um, when people, um, are helped to understand why they need to do something, um, the, the odds of them actually complying in doing that thing 
or it, it go well. So we, I think we've heard this story of the, uh, the, you know, social scientists do this experiment of people are in line. And so they have that somebody comes up and, and, and let's say you're in, in line for, to get on the airplane or whatever. This actually happened, probably happened to you too. And there's 10 people in front of you and somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, excuse me, do you mind if I move ahead? Well, if, if that person doesn't give a reason why it's like, well, no. Um, but if they say, I'm really sorry, but my car had a flat tire on the way here and I'm going to miss my flight. You mind? Well, of course, no problem. And, and so explaining the, because part of inflation to donors becomes more important. And so I, I think sometimes in, in my experience, nonprofits are, this is going to sound completely wrong. Okay. And it kind of is, uh, the nonprofits are afraid to actually put their authentic needs right out there in clear black and white. And so, you know, the, the copy, uh, from a messaging standpoint, nonprofits to be, need to be, uh, much more purposeful in explaining the because. You know, Mrs. Donor, your help today is especially important because the cost of delivering services to the people who depend on us have gone up 17.5% uh, in the last 12 months. And I recognize that you, Mrs. Donor, are feeling the price increases too. But if you could help us out, it would really, you know, fill in blank. It, and so that because um, messaging, I believe, becomes very, very important. You cannot assume that people sort of get it. Oh, they know that we're nonprofit and they know we need help, that we help people. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to ask them for a gift, but we're not going to get too specific. Now, you I think you really do need to. So I think in, in a time of inflation, being much more purposeful, specific, and clear in explaining the because, we need your help because, uh, and, and then provide that information. That's a really important thing. Now, uh, I want that. I really do love that, but it speaks to also being more intentional, which we talked about by the way. And, and I think every episode around uncertainty is that the need, the elevated need for intentionality in whatever topic area. And so in this case, there's greater intentionality between programs and development right? Of connecting, collaborating, understanding, communicating, and then obviously being more intentional in the way that you, you message to your donors, right? So that they do understand that because. It, it, exactly. Just ne never, you never want to assume as a communicator that people understand uh, why you're asking for money. It, it, it just, it, you need to be more, more explicit. The strategic side of that is the, um, well, how does a nonprofit manage its cost of fundraising? Um, which we know, I mean, the, the cost of it, for speaking of direct mail, which is still the backbone of individual giving in America, as we know, you know, those costs have gone up by, I don't have the stats right off the top of my head because I don't remember numbers the way I do words, but I know Ronnie will chime in at some point and, and give some stats about the, the, the cost of producing direct mail is, is gone up. And so, well, what do you do there? Well, talk about intentionality and look, the, the nonprofit community has matured a lot 
since I entered it in the late seventies during a time of inflation. Even then, you know, uh, you could mail out direct mail packages and uh, an acquisition and get way better than one percent response and and so forth. And so the science of direct mail, again, just speaking of direct mail, digital didn't exist um, in anybody's mind, really, except some futurist, I suppose. Um, but uh, it was it was very unrefined and unsophisticated. The, the segmentation strategies, the computing horsepower and so forth was obviously not what it is today. And so it, using the amazing analytic tools that we have in uh, predictive uh, analytics and modeling and so forth, because every nonprofit has to optimize their audience. You just can't afford to uh, do, do a sort of broadcast. It's, it's narrow casting to individuals, you know, what, as close to one-to-one as possible. And so that, that's an area that, that great strides need to be taken in. The nonprofit community has taken great strides. But in a time like this, it's like, um, you know, don't talk to me about how big your mailing list is. <laughs> That, that's not the metric that, that we need to be focused on. Uh, we need to be uh, focused on the net long-term value of the donors that you do have. How many core donors do you have? Donors who've given two or more years in a row without skipping a year. Um, how do you uh, identify donors on your file who may have given you smaller gifts but can give you much larger gifts? All of those kinds of things. And I just scratch the, the top uh, layer of what can be done to um, optimize uh, your uh, strategy through uh, more precise and efficient uh, targeting. Tim, I'm going to disappoint you a little bit and say that I don't have the data right in front of me for that direct mail, but I okay. hopefully make it up to you with some other data. So I just want to read some, some stats to dig into a little bit here. Uh, so Justin mentioned the government data that we had on inflation. And one of the things that we found is that the impact of inflation varies greatly across the U.S., really depends on where you are. For example, in West Virginia, people are feeling an extra cost of $560 per month. Nearby in Washington, D.C., they're seeing $1,020 per month at higher prices. In Texas, where Justin and I and Tim, you are as well, People are feeling $755 a month increase, but just across the Red River in Oklahoma, the impact is $600 per month. So you see that these numbers are, are kind of all over the place. And yet when we look at the data our team put together on fundraising and how, impact, how inflation is impacting fundraising in DC, they're seeing the biggest increase from inflation, yet they're seeing very little impact on their fundraising. Likewise, the, the geographic disparity is kind of all over the place. So how does that affect nonprofits when, when we think about this varying impact of inflation? Well, two, two things. I would like to point out that uh, Washington, D.C. has, I, I think, the highest per capita income of any metro area in the country, large metro area, um, or, or close to it. So um, not surprised that... Uh, Contributions to, to charity haven't seemed to fall off too too much it, it, there. Um, the the old adage that I've used around here a few times is that uh, everybody's in the same storm, but we're all in different boats. So um, the the fact of the matter is, some nonprofits are in in uh, more survivable boats than than others in the same storm. 
in the, in the storm does vary in intensity, like you said, uh, by, by geography and certainly by demography, um, as we see in the Washington DC statistics. And so, um, you know, the, the, the impact on nonprofits, you know, it, it, it varies. It, it depends on what service they're delivering. We certainly saw that during COVID and the food related charities uh, did extraordinarily well, but you know, their giving is falling back off to roughly 2019 levels, getting kind of, uh, reverting to the mean, I think, or regressing to the mean, if that's the, the, the correct term. And, and so that's, uh, not, not unexpected. I think one of the, one of the, the, the damaging things about inflation for nonprofits and for consumers is, and this is so obvious, it hardly bears repeating, is that um, uncertainty is a killer of um, all sorts of things. It, you know, I was reading an article over the weekend about uh, a young woman uh, somewhere uh, who had planned to get married and then she lost her job and couldn't find another one, had to take a lower paying job. And, um, and then her rent went up and it, it's like, well, I can't get married. We can't get married now because things are so much more expensive. We're going to defer having a child and so forth. Well, you multiply those kinds of personal decisions across the country, uh, and, and multiply them across the nonprofits. How do you plan in this environment? How do you put together an annual an annual operating plan for your nonprofit. If you don't know what costs are going to be, and if you don't know what, what, uh, your, your fundraising, um, income will be. So it, it's a very difficult position that we find ourselves in. And I hope and pray that, that, um, you know, I've heard some echoes that maybe inflation is starting to wane a little bit. We know gas prices have come down and so forth. And I, I hope that happens because, uh, inflation, corrodes a lot of things it, 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 and, and erodes confidence in the future, which is, is a, a pretty bad place for anybody to be or any organization to be. You know, we saved this conversation for last because it was one of the more complicated conversations around uncertainty. And Tim, something you just said, it stands out to me that, it, it, that inflation erodes confidence. And I, I wonder if it if it erodes confidence in our strategy as much as it erodes confidence in other aspects, whether, you know, on the consumer side and or our decision to go through with major life changes, like the anecdote that you just shared or not, it just stands to bear that that idea of eroded confidence is uh, something that we have seen many nonprofit decision makers carry or burden themselves with certainly in the the last two years and and most recently in the last few months. And that's what makes this topic so complicated for us. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's an incredibly complicated topic and theme for our, our country and all the individuals and all the nonprofits. Uh, if you think about uh, American history, and, and, uh, I'm going to call on, on my experience in seventies of living with and through serious inflation. And, uh, I remember president Gerald Ford wearing a pin, a lapel pin that he and his administration got, and it said W I N. And that was their, uh, it stood for whip inflation. Now 
I mean, it, it was it was a major thing in the Federal Reserve under Paul Volcker. I mean, this is a walk down memory lane. Had to <coughs> impose some real pain uh, on on the country in order to get it back and um, back back on on even keel. This belief uh, it's in the American psyche that tomorrow can be better than than today. In that there's a reason for hope and optimism and growth, sustained growth and things like that. Inflation just chops at the base of that tree. And I remember feeling it, you know, 45 years ago, um, like, wow, it just felt kind of gloomy. Like, what's, what's this going to be? And um, so I, I think America needs to whip inflation now for, for reasons of sort of our national psyche and our emotional health and, and, uh, and belief in, in sort of this dynamo that the United States is. And I don't refer only to the business dynamo, but I refer to the nonprofit sector, which is 2% of GDP, that need, needs an optimistic uh, America, uh, a confident America, a people who believe that, yes, we can defeat cancer. Yes, we can solve the problem of homelessness. Yes, yes, we can, uh, you know, rescue children in, in difficult circumstances and on and on and on. Everything that we do in the nonprofit sector is premised on the fact that we can do something as people to solve these big societal uh, and human problems. And so I worry about that. I come from this from a, again, I, I'm an old creative guy thinking about messaging, thinking about people's emotions and what do people need to feel and what do they need to hear? Well, they need to believe deep down that they can, that things will get better and they can make a difference. And actually contributing to charity during this time is, is a way to help restore your belief in the future because you don't cave it up. We, we should, we, uh, I will say nonprofit leaders need to be really concerned about how they speak to their donors and what is the vision of the future that they paint for them in light of whatever circumstances we're in right now. And it's obvious what the circumstances are that we're talking about. It's about inflation, rising costs, and it's difficult. So what do we say? Well, the mission hasn't changed. We still need to accomplish the same thing. There may be more reasons now than ever before, depending on if, if the nonprofits in the social service sector helping people who are struggling, food banks, and so forth. There's a compelling story to tell. But that's, um, you know, I think about all of that within that sort of broader social uh, climate and how people feel. And nonprofits have a really important role to stay out there in the market, telling their stories, making a compelling case why people need to help. Thinking about that, Tim, as we're, you know, preparing and heading into the year-end giving season, with this air of uncertainty out there, is there anything nonprofits should be doing, you know, as they prepare for year-end? Is it just a matter of that confidence that you were kind of speaking of that, hey, we, this is our mission and we need to make this happen? Is that it just I, kind of sticking I, to it or... Well, I think doubling down on that message is really important. I, I really believe that strongly. But um, look, we we are. What, what's the date today? This is September the sixth. Okay. Um, I, I hope those who have been um, listening to this podcast and you know fundraising professionals out there um, got ahead of the year-end uh, fundraising season strategy and planning uh, that they got out ahead of it several months ago. Because we here at RKD Group, we preach about digital readiness all the time. 
digital is, uh, I was going to say it's the name of the game. Well, it's certainly one of the big names. Direct mail is still there, but in terms of if, if, what are we solving for in an environment like this? Well, we're having to solve for, uh, sustaining or increasing engagement and contributions and keeping costs as low as possible. So where, where's the, I'm going to put this in air quotes, easiest place to do that. It's hard, but it's the easiest place to do it and it's digital. And so nonprofit organizations, if, and I'm going to speak directly to the camera, if you haven't gotten ahead of this, the time is now, um, it, you know, uh, what, what kind of resources can you deploy into digital with high probability of success? And obviously RKD, um, is helping our clients do that. Um, but it's not too late. There are still th things that can be done, uh, online in your digital program to, to help close the gap that you may be having, um, with, uh, w without the uh, spending at the same level as uh, traditional media. So that's, that's a really important thing because, uh, we are an omnichannel company. We are channel agnostic. Uh, we go where the results are for our clients and direct mail is still hugely important. The digital is growing. In fact, I saw the stats here, uh, Ronnie, I'm going to have to fumble around for them. And if I can find them quickly, I think, um, online giving is now, uh, over 12% and, uh, it's, it's grown significantly in the, in the last few years. That's great. That's really good because if there's any place where you can control costs at a more precise level, uh, and keep them low, it's, it's online. So, uh, in digital marketing and fundraising channels. So definitely leaning into online and even to maybe pluck at something that you, you shared earlier, Tim, it's also lean into being authentic, uh, lean into a way that you can be relevant is by being yourself as an executive director or the CEO of a nonprofit, et cetera. And sometimes that might even just mean you turning on the camera and recording, uh, you know, a, a message of gratitude and hope and thanksgiving and sending that to a segment of donors, right? That authenticity, uh, and, in communicating who you are and what you need, uh, can certainly also maybe cut through some of the, the noise and cut through some of the uncertainty at your end. I agree completely. And, you know, I've been in this business for 45 years and it still disappoints me to, to know and to have direct experience and observation of nonprofit executive directors or CEO or whatever, who feel very uncomfortable of letting their emotions show in their fundraising communication. And I don't know if it was Hemingway or Steinbeck, uh, one of the two, probably Hemingway. It sounds more Hemingway-ish than Steinbeckian. And well, writing is easy. You just, uh, you know, open a vein and let it bleed out on a page. And it sounds a little grotesque, but, but great writing, great connecting with other human beings in uh, whatever medium is always intensely personal and, and, and puts the one who's communicating in a position of vulnerability. And it's disappointing to see a lot of heads of nonprofit organizations sort of head be, uh, hide behind the dignity of their office or their brand. Oh, let's just put our brand out there and so forth. But the most effective uh, fundraising is intensely personal where the person signing the communication, voicing it is 
sort of carrying the weight of the need on his or her shoulders and, and is a proxy um, to the donors or prospective donors for that. And so, again, we're sort of circling back to messaging. That's very passionate about, obviously, the strategy that undergirds it, that helps define the audience that message is going to go to is fundamental. Uh, the nonprofits have to be much better at the targeting that flows out of the analytics and drives the strategy, but that authenticity of communication and just putting it out there with a lot of emotion will make a huge difference. Never assume that donors or prospective donors sort of understand. Um, give them the because. You know, Ronnie, as we uh, wrap this conversation and we wrap the, you know, the series on uncertainty, um, it's, it feels appropriate that, that Tim would not only join us and, and reference uh, great writers like Steinbeck and Hemingway and, uh, and reference lessons from history. And here I am about to reference Jimmy Cliff. And, uh, and because the, the thing that I've taken away from all of these conversations is that maybe the best way to navigate uncertainty, including the, the, uh, the uncertainty around inflation is, uh, from the lyrics of, I can see clearly now, right? I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. Doesn't always mean it's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day, but to the T, every one of our guests and every one of our experts have leaned in a little bit towards like your clarity of your focus is the thing that's going to help you get through whatever the uncertainty is. And it sounds like Tim's saying the same thing regarding inflation that, you know, as a nonprofit decision maker, you can't control inflation, but what you can see clearly is your ability to be relevant to the audiences that you're talking to and give them the opportunity to connect with you. Uh, uh, relevance is absolutely key. And I'm sorry, Ronnie, if I just stepped on your territory, I, I, if, if you come in at the end and do your thing, but I just stepped in, stepped in, in your area. Uh, yeah, relevance is, is absolutely key. And I'm going to riff on one other thing, Justin, and that is decision-making. You have to decide and, and you need to make decisions that are based on, on the best information you have, uh, in, in make, because look, I have high regard for nonprofit leaders. They are stewards of limited resources and it's a hard job, especially in a time like this, but gathering all the information and deciding this is the course we're going to take. And, uh, and go for it. Um, because it, uh, times like this require bold leadership, you know, it's, um, because you can't assume anything these days. So we're not living in a status quo world. And I know we've talked here about how, uh, printing and mailing costs have stayed roughly the same for a long time. And so, okay, well, we're going to order an envelope of paper for the next year. Okay, well, we'll give it a one one and a half percent increase in price, or maybe it won't even be that, or whatever. I mean, well, now we're in a store. It's different, and and so uh, make making really sound decisions in light of of uh, the information, best information you can get, but deciding and moving forward with it. That's that's what leadership's about. It takes courage. And I'll add that, you know. Speaking of providing clarity, 
you know, one thing we talk about a lot is use the use of data and analytics and how that can help provide clarity projections and, you know, see the road ahead. Um, so I'll just do a small plug here that, uh, if you want to check out this data that we've uh, put together on inflation, uh, go to blog.rkdgroup.com. And it's a, it's a lot of really good data that you can check out and, and help, uh, kind of plan for the road ahead there. Right on. Very well Thanks. said. I appreciate that plug there, uh, Ronnie. And, uh, and not only can you find, uh, uh, inflation related blog content and data on arcadiagroup.com. You can also find the full series of our conversations on uncertainty, as well as loads of other content, uh, also content featuring Tim, uh, and, and helping us navigate, uh, current times and helping lean forward into, uh, staying out front in our fundraising. So Tim, I really appreciate you taking the time today to chat with Ronnie and I to share with us some of your experiences and lessons uh, that our audience can definitely benefit from. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed it and I hope this is useful to a lot of people. That's the goal. Do you know how, uh, if John Hughes were directing this, how would he, how would he wrap it? You know, Justin, you you should know better than to ask me a question about a movie director. I just you never know. I'm, never not, I'm just trying to be authentic. Trying to be yeah, authentic. I'm, what I'm, I need you to I'm gonna need you to turn. I'm gonna need you to turn and put one fist in the air and uh just turn, yeah, turn all the way around, all the way. Like that one fist, and then this is where all the way, but now no, not not in a full circle, not in a full circle. Turn face. Yeah. Now punch that fist up in the air. Yeah. There you go. And we're going to have our, uh, our editing team lay a little music over that and wrap it up in true breakfast clip style. It's going to be amazing. Well, could, I mean, could we do like a Freddie Mercury thing? I mean, cause he's could do that too. Yeah, we could. Yeah. We well, can do alternate endings. Choose your own adventure endings. True. All sorts of possibilities. I'll leave that up to you. Uh, I'll, I'll focus on other creative endeavors. Perfect. Tim, we really do appreciate it. Uh, folks, be sure to check out our other episodes of Group Thinkers and uh, be on the lookout. We're uh, um, just weeks away from launching our next series of episodes, which are going to be tied to our research that RKD has recently conducted and published around donor sentiment and their words, what they think. Uh, about the nonprofits that they support. So be on the lookout for that. Thanks for checking out this episode and uh, we'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests but it's the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.